Hey, Susie here from Flawed Theology with a trigger warning. We play clips from a church service throughout this episode. If you're not comfortable hearing that, please skip this episode, and we hope to have you back in the next. Hi, welcome to the Flawed Theology Podcast. I'm Phil. And I'm Susie. And we're asking the question, if your theology were wrong, wouldn't you want to know? Well, welcome back. We do want to remind everybody, which I think we forgot to mention in the first episode, about our somewhat new Facebook group called Dangerous Questions. That's a cool place for us to just interact with you guys. So if you have not joined that, please look for us on Facebook. It's just Dangerous Questions and then it says a flawed theology podcast community, so you can request to join. Please answer all the questions because our little membership <laughs> bot, robot. Will just, it'll just automatically <laughs> reject you if you don't answer the questions, yeah. you know, because we're kind of trying to make sure that people that join the group are actually people for one. And then two, they're not coming in to proselytize or sell. And, and plus we have one silly question in there that we really like to see people's answer to. So, so anything new and exciting with you? What's, what's happening in the exciting world in maryland no nothing oh a girl found a megalodon tooth in maryland oh nice on christmas day yeah like, calvert what? cliffs oh cool how do they know did they like bring it to like a marine biologist they brought it to a museum yeah but but her dad's a fossil hunter and so she i think she's like 10 or 12. Oh, that's awesome and on christmas day she got some new waders because apparently you need waders to go out and fossil hunt in the water at calvert okay. cliffs and on Christmas Day, she went out with her new waders and she found a megalodon tooth. And apparently this is so rare that you know, some people fossil hunt for 10 or 20 years before they find one, if they ever find one. And so she's extremely lucky. They're probably all pissed that some 12-year-old girl found it. They're like, Maybe. I've been looking my whole life and this girl <laughs> yeah. just chanced across one. That's funny. Really cool though. That's all I got. What's new with you? Nothing too exciting here. Just getting back in the like post-vacation groove with like school and like all the kids appointments and stuff like that. That's what I was telling you earlier today, how much I hate Wednesdays. Like, yeah. Wednesday is like just pure hell, like right from the time the after school hours start, because there's just like appointments all over the place. So yep. Sounds familiar. Yeah. It's the, that's what you sign up for when you're a parent. Yeah. So you just basically become a taxi. You're like, yeah, a, yes. an un, you're like an unpaid. Till they're 16. Driver. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we've launched two new segments, which you'll remember from the first episode, which I think the first episode may not be indicative of how those segments are going to go. Like our good human of the week was kind of unique and special last week because we had a guest and it went a lot longer than what we would normally do. And then our flawed theology in real life segment usually will be shorter. So we're going to do something a little bit different this week. Our flawed theology in real life segment is going to basically be the whole episode. We It's the whole episode. Yeah, we've got a, a, a thing to talk about, and it's basically a big, huge example of flawed theology in real life. But we also would like to hear your flawed theology in real life stories. So if you come across something or you see something, for me, it's always the Facebook posts. I see someone post something about, I don't know, like their kids getting baptized is that's a real pet peeve of mine. Or, mm -hmm. you know, so if you see these kind of things, feel free to send them our way and maybe we can use them on the, on the show. Same thing with, um, good human of the week stories if you have a good human story feel free to send it to us this flawed theology in real life um it's personal to my life it's not something that we saw on facebook or in some right. impersonal post it's it actually happened to me if you listen to the season premiere you might know what i'm talking about my sister had a baby recently and the baby was dedicated at her church, which was a Seventh-day Adventist church. And I didn't really want to go, but I did anyway to support her and be there for my nephew. And 10 seconds into, we'll, we'll play the entire clip yeah. of from start to finish. It's only a minute and 38 seconds. We'll play the entire thing. But when I was actually there live, I walked out maybe... I don't know, was it like eight seconds in? It's so really fast. most of this I didn't even hear until like two weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> when you found out, oh, they put all these on YouTube, which your brother-in-law or something told you they put them yeah. on YouTube and you were like, oh, so I can go back and punish and myself. See what, I right. and see, <laughs> see what I missed. See what I missed. So yeah, so we're going to go ahead and play the audio um, and then we'll kind of go through it like, I don't know, line by line. We're going to do an exegetical breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> Just like the Christians like to do with Bible verses. I love that. 
We're going to do some exegesis on this baby dedication. Let's go ahead and we'll play the audio. And once that's over, then we'll come back and we'll talk about it a little bit line by line, piece by piece. Here we go. Why do we do this? Because it's so important. We live in an era of unbelief. Oh, my, Diana, come closer. We live in an era of unbelief where children are taught to have no values. Secularism is a religion. The religion of the Bible is a religion. One of them's right, the other's not. And how do we know? The fruit is how we know. God so designs it that little children will grow up to be a person of virtue, a person of deep moral character who loves God and emulates the character of God embodied in the Ten Commandments and the life of Jesus. Now, no matter how you read the documents of the Bible, we have in the life of Jesus a selfless human being who lived to heal, who lived to love, who died to save. And you are called to be a believer in his name. Yeah, just take my hand, shake my hand. And you know what? Jesus is the bread of life, and the Word is the bread. You like that? You have something to say? Now, in the Bible, Jesus said, Suffer or allow the children to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of God. He never intended that preachers dedicate children. Parents dedicate children. And so as we have the laying on of hands here, I'm going to have you just place your hand there. And I'm going to pray, but God's going to work through you and your parents to make sure little is in the kingdom of God. That's what it's all about. Who wants our children to be lost? And so to grow up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, to have the Holy Spirit in you, that's what it's about. So let's pray. Ugh. I've, I've been to probably like hundreds of baby dedications like in my Christian life, and I don't think I ever realized like how truly disturbing they are. The whole process, like if you see the video of this, it's the whole family up there and the pastor and his cheesy jokes, like trying to like, talk to the baby like the baby has any fucking clue what's going on why they're up there and the parents are just like nodding and the grandparents are nodding and the church body is nodding you know, <laughs> everybody's nodding there's so much wrong in there there's like, so much let's start out how does he start off where he starts out with why is this important mm -hmm. my immediate thought is it's not important you and christianity and the church have made baby dedications important and to me the whole idea of a baby dedication is the first step down the road to indoctrination and like you and i have talked about this oh yes ad nauseum it's like one of our hugest pet peeves about christian parenting and the church you know is indoctrinating your kids so the church has made baby dedications important because they know if you can get this kid in early the likelihood of them turning away later is going to be much harder for them yeah only in religion do they do this. Yeah. And the other thing is when you said that the baby doesn't even know what's going on, that's true. And makes me think, who are they doing this dedication for? Right. Like I get that indoctrination. The whole journey of it is for the baby, for the child to be indoctrinated. But the dedication itself, that one day, that's not for the baby. That's for the adults. Right. To make a big show of it and say, this is why you need to indoctrinate your child. And if you do not indoctrinate your child, your child is going to have no morals, right. no virtue. Your child will be lost. And who wants that, right? The parents are up there and the pastor says at some point, you know, in most dedications, and we're going to help hold you accountable to raise little Johnny, you know, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And the whole church is like, yes, we will. Yeah. You know, that may but, have happened later. I didn't, I just cut it off at that point. I was like, I yeah. can't go on. I mean, I don't know if they said that specifically. In I don't that know if they did. Dedication, but it happens in a lot of them. It does. Yeah. That's exactly why my sister told me not to go up to the front of the church. My sister told me, you know, stay at the back because you're not going to be one of those people who's going to be helping raise my child in any faith. So right. you shouldn't come up. And I was like, yeah, I don't want to come up. <laughs> Being up there is like an implicit agreement mm -hmm. to indoctrinate that child, which I will not do. I hope that right. I'm a beacon of free thinking yeah. for him to and, just yeah. know that I'm there. And so that if he ever has any questions, he can come to me. Right. And the fact that your sister knows that you're not going to support their beliefs, but isn't going to ban you from having interaction with their child oh no it no really, it really shows like the incongruent nature of it too because they're like everything this pastor is going to say about how we're going to raise the ch 
child yeah. is how we're going to do it. But we're not going to treat you any different, even though you're not going to support the thing. It's, it's true. If they really did believe what the pastor's saying, then I'm evil. My kids are evil. We right. have no morals, no virtues. Why would you want to associate with somebody like that? But right. my sister and I have a great relationship. I mean, I would even say we're close to best friends. Yeah. She's never going to cut me off. Right. As far as I know, she doesn't think that I'm a monster. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Anyway, what struck me about this, the beginning statement, we live in an era of unbelief where children are taught to have no values. The era of unbelief I thought was interesting coming off of the episode that we did last week mm -hmm. because he's picking up on that, the decrease in the number of people who identify as Christian in this nation. Right. Uh, it's at an all-time low. There's some measure of truth to the idea of we're living in an era un of unbelief, but also at the same time, I think he's misrepresenting the idea of belief and unbelief. Their idea of unbelief is not a complete lack of beliefs it's that beliefs that align with them mm -hmm. and people still believe in plenty of things you know even amongst other religions you know it's yeah it's not unbelief they're pissed about it's that people don't believe what they do yeah yeah and then the second part of his statement children are taught to have no values i thought i don't know if it's just the way he happened to say it but i thought it was kind of weird that he didn't say children aren't taught to have values because that's a passive thing mm -hmm. but saying children are taught to have no values that's different that's like saying that secular people are teaching their kids to like pick locks and <laughs> vandalize other people's property right like here here's a can of spray paint like go have fun yeah go have fun that nobody's doing that yeah that you're actively teaching your kids to not believe anything when actually it's really the di the direct opposite i yes i want them to be exposed to various and sundry belief systems so they can choose but at five years old and 10 years old and 12 years old, you're not equipped to make that decision. You know, maybe at 12, you're getting close. Right. So it's not that you're teaching them not to believe anything. It's that you're withholding, telling them what to believe. Right. And I'm that's gonna... way different. That's right. what I'm saying that like the, the, the wording of what he said, it's like, we're actively saying, don't believe this, be bad people. Yeah. And it's another misrepresentation of a word values. It's not hmm. no values, it's your values. Right, what What are values anyway? There are hundreds and millions of other values that you're teaching your children, I'm teaching my children. And to be honest, they're the same values that a lot of Christians would espouse. Love, kindness, mm -hmm. taking care of other people. These are all values, positive values across every spectrum of humanity. But we're not teaching our kids, you were born a sinner, you need a savior, you're going to hell. You know, these are not the values that we're going to teach our kids because in our view, those aren't valuable. They don't add any value to a kid's life. There's also what's the motivation behind being the good person right. for us. It's just, it's to be a good person and better humanity for them. It's because a God wants them to be good right. or a God tells them to be good, or they are afraid of divine retribution. And then you get the additional thing of like, Christians don't tend to teach their kids about caring for the environment or being yeah. like environmentally conscious because they don't care about the physical world. Mm -hmm. So we're going to teach our kids about climate change and recycling and sustainable farming and, you know, all this kind of stuff but to me is a, that's a higher value. If you value your actual life here and that's yeah you know a difference between humanism and yeah. and religious thought so so i'm really interested if i if i could ask him one question it would be what are the values that you have that i don't have or that i can't have because i'm not a christian right what is it yeah i, I would love to know So then he goes on to say, Secularism is a religion. The religion of the Bible is a religion. One of them's right, the other's not. And how do we know? And then this is the phrase that kills me. The fruit is how we know. Oh, the first time I heard that, <laughs> I about jumped through the wall. Let's talk about the, the secularism is a religion part. Yeah. Is it? Is it though? <laughs> is so it though? What? Let, let's talk about it. So what's a religion? When you look it up in the dictionary, what does it say? Yeah, it says a belief in and worship of a superhuman power or powers, especially a god or gods, a particular system of faith and worship, a pursuit or interest to which someone ascribes supreme importance. The only one of those that could even remotely apply to secularism 
is the third one. Right. And that could be applied to a lot of things. Could be applied to yo-yoing. <laughs> I was just going to say the same thing. Like anything that anything <laughs> working together too long. Yeah. Anything that you're highly passionate about, then by this definition, could be considered a religion. And then some people might say, okay, they well, would call yeah. it an idol, maybe. Right. An idol. Yeah. But it's not a religion in the sense of like you don't build your whole life system of values and how you live your life based on one thing that you're passionate about that's not religious usually not yeah yeah and so, so yeah. actually he said secularism but that's actually different than atheism i think he meant to say atheism because right. secularism yeah. is just the separation of church and state so is he saying that the separation of church and state is a religion i think he means atheism well and i think also secularism is also like a catch-all word for anything that doesn't allow for the existence of a deity. That's secularism. But you can still be a Christian and be a secularist. Yes. There's overlap. Yeah. Yeah. All I'm saying is that I don't yeah. think that word means what he thinks it means. <laughs> What's that, what movie am I quoting? That, what is that quote? <laughs> I don't think you know. <laughs> Princess Bride. <laughs> Princess Bride. Yeah, Princess Bride. Inconceivable. That's funny. Anyway. Yeah. The only thing that he says in that whole phrase is that one of them is right and one of them's not. And even that, even that's a little tenuous because an atheist or a secularist or a humanist, I don't really deal in the realm of right and wrong. Like I'm right, you're wrong. If I don't agree with what someone says per se, I, I hardly ever nowadays will say, well, you're just wrong about that. And we'll have to agree to disagree or, well, I just don't say, I don't say that because I don't deal in the absolutes of black and white. Plus it's inflammatory and nothing ever gets accomplished just by telling people they're wrong. Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's, let's keep going with why secularism isn't really a religion. There's no dogma. <laughs> no dogma. It's not based on faith in any way. Nothing is required to be a secular humanist or an atheist right. except one thing, right? A lack of a belief in a God. Yeah. There's no worship. There's no evangelism. Yeah. Nobody's going door to door converting people. <laughs> but I guess atheism. Christians would argue against that idea saying that atheists or secularists are out evangelizing because they view everything that isn't Christian as evangelism for the other side. So, well, are we evangelizing right now? Uh, uh, is it According to them, yes, probably. Is our podcast atheist evangelism? Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I, That's not the goal, I don't feel like. Our, my goal is not to like make more atheists or to convince people one way or the other my goal is to help people to think yeah because i i don't claim and i don't think you do like to know everything or to have all the answers no. or or to even say that atheism is the 100 percent way to go that's where we landed yeah based on the evidence that we've seen that's kind of where we landed somebody else may land somewhere else and maybe that works for them yeah so basically there's no way to equate secularism with religion in the truest sense of the world word no so why do people do this this is not the only person that i have seen do this it's been done many many times publicly i mean i think it's probably because when you live your life in like this type of religious faith-based framework everything is in that framework so you think that everyone else also lives in a framework where someone ah. else is doing something because because of some extrinsic motivation yeah that makes sense when your faith is who you are then you assume that someone else's lack of faith is what makes them who they are. But it's not the case. Like, I'm not who I am because yeah. I don't have faith. Like, it's not something that even is in my, like, day-to-day -day life That's anymore. That's really insightful. And I never would have thought of that, probably because I, it was never who I was. Yeah. And so I don't understand that mentality. So I think that the reason people say this is because they want to discredit secularism or atheism or agnosticism in such a way that it, it like evens the playing field. It's a religion just like ours. Right. Uh, there's no evidence just like ours. You need faith to believe it or to believe in evolution and right. to believe they want to think it's all the same right. or no different. And that's just obviously not true. Yeah. Whenever you hear in the realm of creation and evolution, you'll hear them say, well, evolution is a theory just like creation is a theory but no they're two different meanings of the word theory yeah but yeah they're trying to level the playing field that's that's a good insight too because like you want to feel like you're not the outlier yeah they want to believe that they're the other side is brainwashed but they're the critical thinkers yeah but that's what we think right so how do we know who's right i know is it by the fruit it's by the fruit is that how we know <laughs> fruit there's a couple reasons that this really angered me, like right down to right down to my gut. Yeah, tell me. For one, 
look around the world right now and look at the fruit that Christians are doing. Yeah. Well, what, what kind of fruit? Yeah, that fruit is fucking hate. It's violence. It's insurrection. Yeah. It's all the things that are not fruits of the spirit. Last I checked, Galatians 5.22 didn't say the fruit of the spirit is January 6th. Or the fruit of the spirit is protesting at abortion clinics or the fruit of the spirit is not hating someone because of who they love or what color their skin is. Like the fruit of what Christians are doing is if you want to go by the fruit, then, you know, secularism and humanism has much better fruit if you really want to go down to it. Like also I caveat, not all Christians. We have to say that. Yes. Not all Christians. Not all Christians. Yes. So you would actually love this. Have you listened to counter apologetics recently not recently okay he just came out with an episode on december 28th ca 109 meager moral fruits okay but he talks about this very thing about how one of the claims of christianity is that it produces better moral fruits Mm -hmm. and he spends the whole episode talking about how it actually doesn't and if they claim that it's evidence for christianity which is exactly what this pastor is doing right the fruit is how we know right then if the fruit actually isn't there then that's evidence against christianity it's very interesting episode highly recommend if it is not there then it's evidence that christians aren't even living the way they say they should be so yeah if you don't have the fruit you can't say that fruit is the way someone should know they're a christian if you don't have it because well how am i supposed to know oh because i believe no 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 that's not what it says that's right. not you, that's not the right. reason you said that christianity was better you said it was the fruit yeah so are you not a christian if you rape kids or something like are all those catholic priests not actually well according to your parents they're not christian right yeah but there's plenty of southern baptist people that are sexually abusing people too so yeah yeah if your salvation experience is based purely on fruit then there's plenty of non-christian people that have fruit and so then are they christians they of course they would argue and say no because they haven't prayed the magic prayer and accepted Jesus as their savior. But it's so it's like a dichotomy of like, well, which one is it? I guess you need both. They would probably say both. You have to have both, but then but then you can say, oh, because of eternal security, you can pray the prayer and be saved. And then even if you have shitty fruit, well, God still well, loves you because of grace. Yeah, right? Lutherans say faith not works. So to them, they don't care about the fruit. You can have shitty fruit and still right. be a Christian as long as you <laughs> believe. Right. Shitty fruit doesn't matter. Right. Shitty fruit is also another great band name that we we can coin out of this <laughs> podcast because shitty fruit sounds like a pretty yeah. solid emo band. Well, I want t-shirts with all of our little one-liners. I feel like we do need just like shitty band t-shirts for the shitty Caitlin, band. Make us some shirts. Yeah, that's what we need. Some some uh, fake band t-shirts. The shitty fruits on tour now. <laughs> <laughs> Stay tuned for their Europe leg. It's coming up this summer, 2023. <laughs> I think there's probably more we could say about the fruit, but let's not turn it into a smoothie. (laughs) Dad joke. All right. So the next thing he says, do we need to take a beat because you're laughing or no, I'm good. Oh, you're good. You reined it in. Nice. Nice job. Yeah. All right. So then he goes on to say, God so designs it that little will grow up to be a person of virtue, a person of deep moral character who loves God and emulates the character of God embodied in the Ten Commandments in the life of Jesus. Well, we've already talked about the whole virtue thing and the moral character, so I'm not sure we need to focus on that. I don't know what you pull out of this, but to me, what stood out was the Ten Commandments. Yeah. (laughs) You too? (laughs) Yeah, that's the thing. I'm like, you picked out... Well, it doesn't surprise me in Seventh-day Adventism because they're very much about the the Old Testament Testament and the Levitical law. Yeah, yeah. So the Ten Commandments are the basis for everything. So that makes... That makes sense on some level. Well, first off, though, which Ten Commandments? Because aren't there two sets and they're totally different? Yeah. So the Ten Commandments, by and large, some of them are common sense. Some of these don't make you a better person. No. So the first one, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Okay, who does that benefit? God. <laughs> That's nothing to do with your moral character. It no. has. It's just to make sure that you can toot God's horn. <laughs> and make sure that he knows that he's the fucking yeah. greatest. Yeah, you know, like an abuser would do. Right. So there's one down that sucks. Next. Thou shalt not make for yourself a graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven or on earth, or I think it says under the earth. Yeah. Or in the water or something. Yeah. Does that have anything to do with morality? Uh, relevance, Your Honor. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Nice. What? Yeah, it has nothing to do with morality. 
it, what no. does it even have to do with again it's more like god ego management well the weird thing is it doesn't even say idols it says graven image graven which, image which uh, yeah it just means something that's like sculpted yeah so or you, carved you, or drawn so we can't have art <laughs> right well i guess that's because that was the the only way you could make you know idols and stuff back then was carving them out of a rock wooden stone they didn't have you know digital media and well gotquestions.org article about this commandment said that it is dangerous even to draw pictures of god like you shouldn't do it and what well how are you going to draw a picture of invisible god anyway like there's so many pictures of god like depictions of god yeah and how are you supposed to draw a god that never shows his face yeah but anyway next commandment thou shalt not take the lord the name of the lord in vain yeah again another god ego yeah god ego commandment and dan barker says he points out that this is prohibiting free speech valid free speech is fiercely protected in this country we value it yeah it's a value you can't take the name of the lord in vain which who knows what that even means like no i don't know i always thought it meant like you can't say oh my god right which to this day i still can't say (laughs) no i can't my daughter says it but i can't say it my kids say that every once in a while when when like my 10 year old will be like oh my god i'll be like who are you talking about? He'll be like, I don't know. I'm just saying it. I'm like, all right, well, don't say it because you're just wasting words. Forrest Valkai says, oh, my glob. <laughs> yeah, I love yeah, that. That's hilarious. Again, arbitrary. Not, has nothing to do with yeah. morality. No. So also worthless. Number four, remember the Sabbath day. <laughs> okay. What does this have to do with morality? Nothing. It's an arbitrary day of the week. It has nothing to do with how good of a person you are. No. And like the idea of a Sabbath or like resting is sure that's a good thing to do but does it need to be mandated like it's kind of common sense and it's not only that but in the old testament people were stoned for this right all right let's move on sabbath worthless next one honor thy father and muddity what muddity uh, what did you say i don't know what i just are said. you having a stroke yeah maybe maybe it's this lemon water honor thy father i looked at the word validity ne- that was next in the notes and i just said muddity Honor thy father and muddity. It's got a great sound. <laughs> well, someone else is going to have a stroke right here live on the show. All right. Well, let me try to say this in real English. Honor thy father and mother. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I'm remembering when you said muddity. I know. <laughs> oh, this is the kind of professionalism you've come to expect on this podcast. Where in the middle of the show, I will say a word that is not a word and it will cause Susie to just spin out of control. <laughs> yes. And we have to get back on track. All right. All right. But that's okay. So uh, is there really like, is there validity to this honor thy father and mother thing? Like, is it really something that God really had to tell people? I mean, on the surface, it sounds good. It's right. a good thing to honor your fa- your mother and your father. However, they don't deserve our honor and respect simply because they're mothers and fathers like what do you have to do to become a mother or a father you have to procreate all you have to do is have sex get (laughs) pregnant successfully deliver a child keep them from dying correct you don't actually have to do more than that to be a mother and a father and there are mothers and fathers who do the bare minimum not much more than that don't give their children any love neglect them abuse them and they use this verse they use this commandment to demand honor and respect from their children right so it's a dangerous commandment yeah there's no caveat it's just too black and white yeah it's like blanket you will honor your father and mother because god said so and it doesn't matter if they're total pieces of shit if they beat you if they put out cigarettes on your leg or that doesn't matter you honor them anyway because god said so so this is actually like just a garbage commandment like garbage it's actually detrimental and damaging yeah yeah all right so thou shalt not kill what do you what do you think about that one well this again this is like common sense like you don't need a god to tell you not to kill other people yeah i mean i don't see like secular people out murdering each other all the time right it's not the, that big of a problem it's it's fairly obvious you don't need a biblical mandate to know to not kill yeah. people so this is the only one so far that's like okay you shouldn't do that one <laughs> all right what's the next one number seven thou shalt not commit adultery what do you think about this one common sense Again, it's probably a good idea to not commit adultery unless you're really trying to fuck up your marriage, you know, but it's not the most important thing to prohibit. 
there's a lot of other crimes and evil things that I could do. So why is this one land in the list? Yeah, there's a lot worse. There's no thou shalt not enslave your neighbor. There's no thou shalt not rape your neighbor. There's no thou shalt not have sex with your brother or sister. Yeah. But commit adultery is in there. So I'm not sure why it's on such a high level of importance. I'm not sure either. It's a good question. Nowadays, there's so much like sexual fluidity in very healthy relationships. People are like, hey, we do this. Mm -hmm. You know, we're swingers or we're this or that. And yeah. we don't have any problem with it. It doesn't hurt us. It doesn't hurt anyone else. It's is that like, technically adultery or is it just without consent? It's adultery. Uh, That's the thing. I, it doesn't define it. Right. It doesn't define it. I mean, I think adultery is any kind of sex outside of, outside of marriage, right? marriage with to your partner. So, all right. Thou shalt not steal. That's fine. However, the ethics and morality of not stealing or stealing is not very clear cut. Right. So if you're starving literally dying from starvation is right. it wrong to steal a loaf of bread from a rich person similar to like aladdin right right what he did yeah i say no yeah honestly i say no and even jesus stole a donkey right <laughs> right but he says he borrowed it mm. i don't know stealing is like yeah it's not good to steal but again yeah but desperate times so number nine thou shalt not bear false witness that's lying right right Against your neighbor, I think, was the whole thing. Don't bear false oh, against witness your against your neighbor, which means I guess you could lie about anyone else, just not, oh. your, just not your neighbor. <laughs> what? Why limit the audience here? That's, that's so weird. It's an ethical fine line, too, because there's plenty of times where people lie and they say, oh, that's not that's not really lying. I forget where and who said it, but somebody said it's OK to lie for God. I can't. Or was it Martin Luther? It might that, have been Martin Luther. It sounds like something your boy would say. I should have researched it before this. <laughs> yeah. Even as secularists, we teach <laughs> our kids that, tr you know, telling the truth is important, right? Yeah. Like, so that's not something that's unique to religion, but also what's the context of what you're talking about telling the truth? Yeah. If my 12-year-old comes home and says, I got in a fight with my friend today because she asked me if I thought she was fat. Mm-hmm. So in that situation, is telling the truth the right thing or the yeah. wrong thing? So situational. Situational, yeah. All right, last one. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife. I think it goes on to like their ox and their donkey, their land. <laughs> yeah. You know, basically don't lust after anything that your neighbor has. Again, with a neighbor. L right. So now you can't even think about. It's thought crime. Do, yeah, you can't do something. You can't even think about your neighbor and what how their car is nicer than yours and be like, Damn, yeah, I wish I had a car like that, you know, like. That's what is the harm in that? What's yeah. the harm in saying, oh, wow, my neighbor has a really nice house. I really right. like it. Yeah. It's like, I, I wish I could afford that house. You know, right. there's nothing wrong with that. No, it's, and, and they would probably say that coveting is more, you know, insidious. It's like jealousy and it's, you know, unhealthy, which there's something to be said about like being happy and content in your own situation and not like yeah. always wanting the bigger, better deer, what your, what your neighbor, neighbor has or whatever. But again, not a basis for morality. Like these 10 commandments, no. like there's only really two of them in here that are like, okay, you could say these are useful in society. Well, don't maybe three. Don't kill people. Don't steal. Don't steal things. Eh, and maybe that's about it. Like just the rest of they're just the, the rest so of them are just black and white. Yeah, they're just innocuous and kind of worthless. But so we've kind of diatribed a little bit down here. But like the point I think we're trying to get back to is like, do you need to be a Christian to be a person of virtue? Do you need the Ten Commandments? Right. Do the Ten Commandments no. even make you a person of virtue? No, they sure no. the hell don't. Like no. Yeah. Well, and most of the Ten Commandments were there, it's not original thought to the Bible anyway. It's from other yeah. religions that had commandments that were passed down from their gods. So they basically just modified them. The next thing our illustrious happy-go-lucky pastor friend says, no, no, no matter how you read the documents of the Bible, we have in the life of Jesus a selfless human being who lived to heal, who lived to love, who died to save. And you are called to be a believer in his name. Okay, so let's talk about Jesus a little bit. Okay. How selfless was Jesus really? <laughs> Same concept of why does it make sense to worship God for being perfect? Apparently, these are entities that it's part of their nature. They are intrinsically perfect, right? Right. Which selfless goes along with that. Why should they be praised for being such a way that they can't be anything else? Right. That didn't make grammatical sense. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, you're trying to say is like 
he was basically put on the planet to be a perfect selfless savior. He didn't have any other choice. He doesn't have a choice to be anything but selfless. So yeah. is he, should he be praised for being selfless? Yeah. Cause he did, he's not choosing it. It's like supposedly no. just who he was. If a real, an actual human being who does have a choice to sin, quote unquote, sin or be selfless. And they somehow managed to be completely selfless and perfect. Right. Yeah. That person. Wow. That would be an amazing feat. Right. But for it, Jesus and literally impossible for him to sin or be anything other than perfect. Right. Why should we exalt him for that? Right. It's actually more worthy when someone who is flawed like us and imperfect. Yeah. And that's why people react so enthusiastically to some normal person doing some kind of good, you know, because we're like, yeah. oh, that's so not who humans are, you know, because they think right. that most humans are just worthless balls of scum. Shitty fruit. <laughs> right. Shitty fruit. So if someone does something good, they're like, that's so mind blowing. Yeah. That would be like praising a ball for being round. Right. The ball literally has no choice but to be round. And if it weren't round, it wouldn't be a ball. Right. So that's kind of what I mean by like Jesus is intrinsically perfect. He has no choice but to be perfect. He could not be selfish if he tried. So mm -hmm. I just don't see what's so impressive about Jesus being selfless or God being all powerful when he has to be all powerful because whoever made God, that's how they made it. Him, her, she. Right. If Jesus was perfect and sinless, and the only reason he was on the planet was to come and give his life as a sacrifice for many, why are we so excited that he did what he was supposed to do? <laughs> you know, like in any other context, you wouldn't be congratulating. Let's, it's like, it's like if you go to work tomorrow and your boss like throws a party because you came to work, yeah. well, I'm supposed to come to work. <laughs> you know, I don't need an award. I, you know, that's what I'm supposed yeah. to do. Like, the other thing I wanted to say about that sacrifice is that this has been stated many, many times over many platforms, but he died for three days and then he got to live again. And <laughs> right. it, yeah, he died in a very undesirable way. I wouldn't want to die like that. But lots of people in history have died worse deaths. I mean, think about all mm -hmm. the people at the, in the Holocaust who were burned alive, tortured. Right. They never came back to life. Right. So why does Jesus dying that way? Why is that so meaningful? Well, and also he knew he was going to die and he also knew he was going to resurrect. So it's like, yeah, you know, it's like if you knew you had to go through something really difficult, but you were going to come through it on the other side, you would push through it because you're like, okay, I know I can do this, even though it's going to be hard. Yeah. It's like having surgery. Yeah. So the other thing I was going to say about Jesus is like the idea of Jesus being God, like, how did that even happen? So I got this book for Christmas. How Jesus Became God, which you can't see because of our cool background. Oh, yeah. Bart by, Ehrman. By Bart Ehrman, which I haven't read yet. But, you know, it goes, I've read other, some other things along this line about how the myth of Jesus and who he was as a historical figure became Jesus being this perfect example of love and blah, 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 and killed and came back to the from the dead. All that stuff is mythology. There's like no evidence or proof for it. So, if you want to focus your whole thing in the life of Jesus, well, then you have to have an accurate portrayal uh -huh. of what the life of Jesus was, which yeah. was he was a Jewish itinerant preacher who had a, a following in his local area. Rome may or may not have saw him as a low-grade threat to some part of the empire, and he got killed. Mm. Th these are the only verifiable facts that we have about Jesus's life in all of the historical documents, you know, Rome's documentation, Josephus, that's all they say about it. There's nothing in there about his miracles. Yeah. So if you're really going to base your whole thing on the person of Jesus, well, then you have to base it on the actual the facts. person of Jesus, the facts, not the mythology. Yeah. <laughs> so, so his whole first phrase about no matter how you read the documents of the Bible, that's completely wrong because you have to read the documents of the Bible a certain way in order to believe in the Jesus that he's talking about. And plus, you should read more than just the Bible. Right. Yeah. And the last part of his phrase is, and you are called to be a believer in his name. Well, why? If this child was born in the jungles of freaking Botswana, are there jungles in Botswana? <laughs> Mike, I'm not sure. I don't want to, I don't want to misrepresent Botswana, <laughs> but look, you know, if you were born in Botswana in the religion that is predominant there, which I'm not sure what it is, is that baby not called to be? That's a great question. In the name of 
you know, they're not called to be a believer in Jesus because they don't even know who Jesus is. And they're not being dedicated. Right. <laughs> they're not going to get this awesome dedication that yeah. is, like I said at the beginning, it's, it's so important. Mm-hmm. Ugh, the bread. Yeah, the First bread. First we have fruit, now we have bread. <laughs> it's like this guy's just really hungry, maybe, once he yeah. gets to lunch because his church service is too long. I was hungry. I remember being very hungry. <laughs> That's probably why you really walked yeah, out. Yeah, right. You got some crab legs. <laughs> and you know what? Jesus is the bread of life, and the Word is the bread. You like that? You have something to say? Now, in the Bible, Jesus said, Suffer or allow the children to come unto me, for such is the King of God. He never intended that preachers dedicate children. Parents dedicate children. And so as we have the laying on of hands, I'm going to have you just place your hand there, and I'm going to pray... But God's going to work through you and your parents to make sure little is in the kingdom of God. So I thought this was interesting because he's placing the responsibility of the indoctrination or the dedication, mm-hmm. not on the pastor, but on the parents. Right. They're tacitly admitting that, yeah, this is indoctrination because who indoctrinates, right? The parents. Right. And the church. Yeah. Well, but it starts yeah, with the parents. We'll help you. We'll help, we'll help you, you do this. <laughs> yeah. They're going to do most of it. Yeah. You know, they want parental involvement. I, I just find it so interesting that we see it so differently than they do. Yeah. They know what they're doing. We know what they're doing. To them, it's great. To us, it's a crime. Right. Why is it so different? I don't even understand how he takes the leap from Jesus saying, suffer the little children to come mm, unto yeah. me for such is the kingdom of God. How does he get from that? that God never intended preachers to dedicate the kids. There's no mention of preachers or parents. Or dedication. Right. He was saying, oh, the children should, should come, come unto me. me. Yeah. And that was it. That was like, it. You know, and I, I can't remember the rest of that you know, story of Jesus, but he basically is talking about that you should come to Jesus with like a childlike innocence or whatever. It had nothing to do with dedication or oh, any of that. So it's like it's just like one of those like sentences that you just say and it sounds good, but there's no backing for like what you're saying. Like, well, I guess this is how you just use the Bible to support whatever whatever your assertion is. Yeah. You can find something that directly supports your assertion, or you can find something that kind of sounds like it directly asserts your supportion, supports your assertion. Right. Well, yeah. And to go back to your question of like, why do we view this as indoctrination and, and detrimental and they view it as so positive? I mean, I guess it really comes down to your outlook on what your role is as a parent. In our world, the role of a parent is to to bring up a child with like the skills and abilities and personality that they can contribute to society and be a beneficial human being for the Christian. Their goal is for them to believe in Jesus Mm -hmm. and at nothing else matters besides that. So like if you're a Christian parent and your kid doesn't believe in Jesus, you're basically a failure as a parent, you know, so their whole thing revolves around that. So I think that's why we would view it as indoctrination because we see the lack of choice. Yeah. And they see it as this is my God-given role. It's the lack of choice. Yeah. Both people recognize the lack of choice, but one person sees that as bad and one person sees it as their right and their responsibility. Plus, they were all indoctrinated. And so they see it as just a continuation of how they were raised. Yeah. All right, so the next part, he says, Who wants our children to be lost? And so to grow up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, to have the Holy Spirit in you, that's what it's about. So let's pray. (laughs) So who wants our children to be lost? When he said this, I'm imagining my mother, like a shiver probably went down her spine or, or it felt like a knife was going in her gut and being twisted. Right. Because she's still... We haven't talked that much about it because, well, you know this, like she's very emotional about it. And so she just cries whenever we talk and right. it's very raw for her. So for him to say this, and he knew that we were atheist. He knows that my family is atheist. Mm-hmm. And yet he still said this in front of my mother, directly in front of her. She was standing up there in front of the whole church. Right. It probably for her felt like having salt poured in her wound and like mashed around in there. It was yeah. probably so painful for her. Especially after I had just stormed out and she saw me do it. Do you think he did it because of that or this was just no. like scripted and he says this? I think he just it didn't care how what his words yeah. made people feel. 
yeah. whether it be me or my mother and my father. Yeah. Well, and if you really dissect like what he's saying, he the only thing that a Christian parent cares about is if their child is a Christian. Yeah. That's what we were just saying. That's the only thing they care about. Yes, they want them to be good in school. They want them to whatever. But really, none of that matters if they're going to go to hell, if they're lost. Yeah. And that's who I am now to them. Yeah. That's how you are. That's how probably most of our listeners are. They're, we're all lost yeah. to our religious parents. Yeah. And I guess the bottom line is there's just like no amount of truth in that. There's a lot more to life than being lost. And it's not beneficial for a kid to grow up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, which is another great one of those like statements that sounds really good. What does admonition even mean? Oh, uh, admonition is like what you get when you are wrong. So that's correction. I never knew what that meant. Yeah. I've heard it so many times at church. They're both negative words. Wow. So you have the fear of the Lord where you're afraid of God, but of course that's not what they say. They say it's respect, but admonition is like, oh, well, you need somebody to point out when you're wrong. But God's not coming down and telling me. He's leaving it up to the parents. They're the voice of God to your kid, you know, to their kids. So that's what it's all about as a child is to be fearful of the Lord and to know when you're wrong. Uh, yeah, I'll pass. Hard pass on that. So like reflect back on this, you had a really good conversation with your sister after this, right? I did. Yeah. Did you ask her, do you think I raised my kids with no virtues and moral because I, I asked her that exact question? Yeah. And what was her response? She kind of faltered a little bit. I wish I could remember exactly what she said, but she kind of was like, well, sort of, I mean, like where, do you, how do you teach them to be good if it's not from God? And it was more like exploratory questions. Mm -hmm. on her end and what my brother-in-law they we ended up getting on speakerphone and he was he was there too talking and he said what we believe is that you can still be good even if you don't believe in god but god has imprinted his moral code on your heart mm -hmm. and that's how you can still be good right that's the classic thing mm -hmm. of saying well even even people who are good outside of god it's because of god's presence in the world every time you do something good it's because of god Again, this is not one of those like completely unverifiable things. It sounds really good. And it's moving the goalposts. So first they say you can't be good without God. And then when you present them with evidence that there are good people without God, they say, oh, no, it's because God imprinted the thing on their heart. Yeah. So God forced the goodness on them, it's, even yeah. if they didn't want to. It, they don't really know it. Yeah. That's why they're good. And you see this in a lot of different things, like the the thing we talked about last week about um the baby in the hospital and the medical professionals being the instrument of salvation in that thing. We'll say, Oh, God sent those people. God gave those people the desire to be nurses and doctors and gave them the skills and mental capacity to learn all the things they need to learn to become mm -hmm. doctors and nurses. And like, it's one of those things that immediately kills a conversation because you can, there's no, you can't prove it. You can't prove it. You can't disprove it. That's how you just end the conversation. But and you could also substitute God with um, a bottle of mouthwash. <laughs> right. A bottle of mouthwash gave me the desire to be a nurse right. or a doctor. Yeah. A bottle of mouthwash put a moral code on my heart. You can <laughs> Right. It comes down to this whole thing of like magical thinking is the explanation for everything. Mm -hmm. It's frustrating when you're trying to have a conversation with someone and they're not willing to ask the exploratory questions. You know, they're not willing to ask the dangerous question because they're so rooted in what they believe. Yeah. That's why these conversations are are so hard to have sometimes. Like for one, there's that whole thing that's like programmed into us, like that whole honor your father and, and muddity thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, you're like, am I really allowed to say this to my parents? You know, you have to remember that you're a grown ass adult. You know, you can say what basically whatever you want. Oh, you know what I forgot to mention at the very beginning of this was the idea of a baby dedication and baptism because some churches will baptize. It also takes away the whole idea of individual responsibility from this baby now, hmm. right? So she's been dedicated to God. He or she now doesn't have the choice because... God is now 
owns this child, right? The idea of choice is to totally take it out of it if you're doing it to a child. Yeah. So what happens when this kid grows up and decides, well, I don't care about any of this stuff. How does that happen? Right. So did it not take like the magic words right. weren't said correctly or <laughs> right. did the parents fail? Yes. Yeah, it's the parents fault. Is God not all powerful? Is it because of your sin? Yeah, I think to kind of like try to end this on like a positive note, I think it is important to teach your kids values and morals and virtues, but there's like things that are objectively valuable to teach your kids, right? Like kindness, equality, responsibility. Yeah. Religious dogma is not valuable. Right. If you're a parent, yes, you have a responsibility to raise your child in a way that helps them become a good human. You can't force any kid to be anything. They're going to become who they are going to become, yeah. but you can put them down the path that teaches them the critical thinking skills, the the morality to say, well, is this going to benefit people or is it going to hurt people? That's really all you have to teach your kid when it comes to decision-making. Like, is it going to help people or is it going to hurt people? Is it going to put more love into the world or is it going to put hate into the world? Yeah. There's very easy ways to teach values and morality without instilling fear without teaching hate or dogma or dogma and critical thinking is probably the most important thing you can teach your kid we should have a a critical thinking baby dedication that's (laughs) the thing How, how do we do that i don't know that sounds like a cool idea i know there's a cool thing that some people have done at funerals where it's like a whole different like a secular humanist funeral where it's like just a a whole different experience than like a a christian religious funeral so maybe we need to find a such a thing in the humanist, secularist, atheist world, like for starting your kids down the path to free thinking. Yeah. How do we do that? Let's let's think about that. Yeah. That's the interesting thing. I also just want to say that I don't blame my sister and her husband at all for what happened. They've been nothing but gracious to me. And we've had good conversations where they don't tell me I'm wrong and they actually listen to what I have to say. And I try to listen to what they have to say in return. And so it's led to really good things. And yeah. The only person I blame here is that pastor. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the system, you know, that they're... Well, yeah, the system. That that he's a part of and that they're kind of in... But they were indoctrinated. I mean... Right. It doesn't make them awful people because... No, they, and they're not. They're great people. And the fact that they're willing to at least explore and ask questions and listen, that's a credit to them. So... Yeah. That's good. Thanks for listening to the Flaw of Theology podcast. I'm Phil. And I'm Susie. Tune in next time where we will continue to tackle the question, if your theology were wrong, wouldn't you want to know? Make sure to follow us on the various social media platforms and listen to us on any place that you find podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify. Connect with us on the Facebook group, which is called Dangerous Questions, and we'd love to connect with you there. If you do have flawed theology and real life stories or good human stories, please send them our way as well, and we will talk to you next time. Okay, so blah 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 bl